Father, we give you thanks. You are so good. Even in the midst of things that may be difficult, whether people are experiencing it personally, they're going through something difficult, or we look at the world stage, you are great and you are good. God, it's easy for us to look at chaos and think, okay, there's nothing good in that. There's nothing good that's going to come out of this. And yet, I see in the pages of your Bible, the pages of your scripture, you're involved and engaged in dictating and moving world events for the purpose of bringing yourself glory. And so, God, may we rest in the reality that you're in charge, you're sovereign. And then help us to respond appropriately according to your word, not our emotions and not how we should react or how we think we should get to react, but according to your word that we'd bring you honor and glory in everything that we do. God, we thank you. And I pray that you would lead this time. Pray you would keep us teachable, humble to receive your word. God, help me to keep my agenda, my opinion to myself. May only you be the one that's noticed. May, be your, tr may your truth be all that's heard. And then help us to apply it by your grace in order that we are, one, living lives in honor of Jesus, and two, impacting people the way that you've called us to. So God, keep us humble to receive. Anoint this time. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. When Paul wrote to a bunch of Christians in Galatia, and this is one of those verses, if you've been brought up in the church, you've heard this one. If you went through a WANA or a Christian school, you had to memorize this one. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, if you don't have any, any Bible background, you kind of sit there and go, wait, wait, wait. Paul's alive, and he wrote, I've been crucified. Well, he's not speaking literally, physically is what he's talking about. He's not talking about physically, but when we say, I've been crucified with Christ, it's like my, my what I think is my life is dead. I've given that up. I've been crucified with Christ, and the reason it's crucified with him is because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Like what it is that Jesus went through, not just the physical torture, but to experience the full and complete wrath of God for the sin and because of the sin of the world, because God wants to show his grace to us in order that he could, he could redeem us and bring us back into relationship with himself. And so when Paul's like, he's going back to the cross. And followers of Jesus, I think it's necessary for us to go back to the cross often. Why? I think here's one practical reason. It's really hard to continue to be a jerky Christian when you go back to the bloodstained cross of Christ. It's hard for me to then look at other people and start pointing my finger and blaming every other human being for everything that's going on when I go back to a tree that's, that's stained by the blood of Christ who's bringing me, sinner, into relationship with himself. That instead of me seeing other people as the what? The problem. I actually see them as the target of God's grace. If you're in the Bible reading plan, and I was sharing this with my D group this morning, when you read Daniel chapter nine, here's Daniel. I don't know if you've ever read Daniel. I just have huge respect for him. I seriously, like, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get to see Jesus and spend half of forever for him. And then I'm gonna say, hey, can you tell me where Daniel is? Because I got some questions. When you look at Daniel, he's, he's taken out of his homeland and taken into captivity into a whole other country. And in this country, they're not talking about God at all. I mean, they're teaching things that are against God, and yet Daniel is known as this man of faith. But in Daniel chapter 9, he prays, and he prays like this. Oh, God, I and this is paraphrased. God, I pray, we, I confess, we confess our sin. We confess our rebellion against you. We, we, at no point does he say, forgive them. 
He never says, I'm doing everything right, but forgive them. He actually just includes himself in the prayer of confession. Guys, I was so blown away by that prayer that I started to apply it. It's like, so God, we have rebelled against you. We have moved away from your truth. And you know what it helped me do? It, stopped look, it helped, helped me stop looking at people as the problem. Remember, it's always the other side, the other people. It's always those people, right? Those are the ones who are creating all the problems. If they were gone and we had it our way, then everything would be great. Guys, we're all the problem. It's fallen nature. We've all messed up, and yet we're so busy pointing the finger that we don't include ourselves in the need to confess. I just sat there going, God, forgive me for my arrogance and God, forgive us. I confess that we have moved away from you. So I think it's important for us as followers of Jesus to go back to his cross, but not to stay there because he resurrected. We don't stay there in guilt and shame because we're, we're freed from that. But he says, this is what I was like before. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, that means in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Stop there for just a second. Would you say that yesterday you lived by faith? Was there anything that happened this past week where you actually had to ask God, God, do you want me to do this? Or is everything just on autopilot? And faith is just the things that are connected to the spiritual life and all the rest of it. No, no, no. I'll take care of that. Guys, we're supposed to be living this life that Jesus has given to us in complete faith in everything. Guys, when you're, there's, a, there's a verse in Romans chapter 14 where anything that's not done by faith is sin. I want to make sure, though, okay, God, do you want, and it sounds so dumb, God, where do you want us to go to lunch after? You said, I go, God doesn't care, but what if he does today? What if for the most part, he's like, I don't care, just get something, it's Sunday, calories don't count, count just get something all fatty and greasy and drink gravy. Like, maybe that's the day. That's what you get to do. But what if today is the day that you get to meet someone he is, he is divinely appointed for you to meet? Like, what if it's happening today that you get to see someone come to Christ because you simply said yes to go to Subway, which you, maybe you sit there and go, I don't even know if it's real meat, but you go there because by faith and you trust that God will redeem that stuff. Or do we just go on autopilot? Everything's the same. It's always the same. And I just sit and go, I'm supposed to live by faith. Faith in the Son of God, not my emotional reactions to every situation. Guys, if you honestly think, well, I'm a, follower, I'm a follower of Jesus and therefore every reaction that I have is godly, you are so jacked up in your theology. <laughs> Guys, there's no, re there's no way that we as humans, even though we have the Holy Spirit on us, that everything that we think, feel, experience, the way, that we, the way we react is godly. We live by faith. We live by faith in who? Us? No. In Jesus, because I can't do anything without him. But listen to this last part, and maybe for some of you need to be reminded of this. Who loved me? Why is that so important? Guys, this is a person who persecuted the church before he came to Christ. I mean, he, he applauded the arrest and the killing of Christians before he came to Christ. And here's Paul going, who loved me? Jesus loved me. He loves me. Guys, I know that a lot of times our past is haunting, but God's grace is able to wash it 
and he redeems it. Because what I desire is that all of us would walk out going, I'm loved by God. Does anybody else struggle with that besides myself? Like I feel like I have to achieve and do certain things and to be on his good side. And then if I'm on his good side, he'll do more things. And, and what if we just got rid of all that? Like I don't want my boys approaching my relationship with them in that way. Parents, do you want your kids approaching you that way? They sometimes in there go, some days, some days I want them to behave. But I mean, think, like, do you really want them walking through going, I don't know if my parents love me, so hopefully today I can appease them so that I know that if I do enough good things, maybe they'll like me more today than they did yesterday. And isn't it amazing that we'll kind of throw that onto God? That if I do enough good things, then God will love me more. And friends, God can't love you more than he already does. There's no point where God is not ultimately and completely loving in anything and everything he does. It's not like at one more moment he's more wrathful and the other moment he's more loving. He's all, God is God all the time. Who loved me. And how do I know that he loved me? Paul would say, and he gave himself for me. If you ever wonder if God loves you, go to the cross. This is, what Je- this is how much Jesus loves you. That he took the cross While we were sinners, while we were still enemies of Jesus, he died for us. Guys, that's unheard of. If ever you wonder and doubt, does he really love me? Remember the cross. Now, somebody's sitting going, Brian, we're getting into all this theology and doctrine stuff again, aren't we? I was like, yeah. We are. It's like, well, I don't really, I don't really get into that very much. And or I, I have a hard time focusing, and I get that, and that's why I try to get loud at other times. It's like sometimes I'll bring it down low and then as you start to fall asleep, bam, right in your face and just to wake you up. But why is it so important for us to have proper and right thinking? Because everything that we do flows out of what we believe. And so if I don't really believe that God loves me, then I'll start living my life in that way, trying to appease him and to do all these added things to try to get his love and approval. And then I might actually put that onto you that because I'm doing it, you have to do that. My insecurities or my unbelief in certain aspects of what scripture is teaching me to live in freedom could actually impact other people in a negative way. Guys, everything we do is connected to what we believe. Brian, I still just want the application point. And that's the problem. We're so into quick microwave theology. Just tell me what to do. I'd rather tell you about Jesus and who he is and what he thinks about you so that everything that we do is not just a task list to get through things, but a response to God in worship because we know he loves us and we adore him. That's the difference. And guys, that's slow cooker theology. We want it so quick. And God's not about quick. He does everything he wants in his timetable, and he can be trusted. So we go from this to go to Luke 15. If you've been brought up in the church, you don't have to turn there, but if you've been brought up in the church, you know this passage, especially the last half known as the prodigal son. Jesus tells this story of there's a dad, and there's these two sons, and the older son doing what he's supposed to, and the younger son walks up to dad and says, it's kind of like this, hey, you're not dead yet, but I kind of wish that you were. Could I have my inheritance now so I can go spend it or I can live with it? He said, he doesn't really say, I wish you were dead. But okay, for those of you that have kids, if they walked up to you and said, can I have my inheritance now, how are you taking it? 
Are you sitting there going, well, of course you can. I'm sure that you want it, you want it now so that you can spoil me the way that I've spoiled you. No, it's kind of like they're saying, you're not dead yet. I wish I could do some stuff. Could I have it now before you're gone? And what's the dad do in the story? He gives it to him. And the Bible says that this younger son, or Jesus in his story, says he goes off and he just squanders it, just spends, just lives like Vegas on steroids. And then this famine hits, he's got nothing left. And so he comes up with his plan as he's eating pig food. Like he's, long, he's longing for what the pigs are eating, which when, when Jesus tells the story, remember pigs are unclean in that culture. For him to say, he wishes he could eat what the pigs are eating, all the people listening going, oh, this is a bad place. This is a bad place. And the religious, religious leaders are sitting there going, yeah, he deserves this. So he comes up with this plan. I can go home. And I can at least be a servant because all my dad's servants are taken care of. So he makes it home. Before he can get his speech out that he prepared the whole walk, the dad runs to him, grabs onto him, and says, welcome home, puts a ring on his finger, puts sandals on his feet, a robe around him, and then he says, kill the fattened calf. Kill Bubba the fattened calf. Let's have a party because this son of mine who was lost is now found. The one who's dead is alive. And that's where we stop usually. But you've got to remember the context. The context of Luke 15 is to not tell the story of the younger brother. It's to tell the story of the older brother. How do I know? Because the very beginning of the book, or the chapter says this, that Jesus is sitting there eating with tax collectors and sinners, and some of the religious leaders are judging him for it. They can't stand that he would actually sit with tax collectors and sinners and so in the context of that, then Jesus tells the story. So there's the younger son takes off. The older son, he's just doing everything he's supposed to be doing. Verse 25 of Luke 15. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. And watch the response. But he was angry and refused to go in. Now think about it. It's like we sit there and go, you judgmental jerk. But think about it. You've been doing everything you're supposed to be doing and at the parties for the person who just went off and spent the whole inheritance. Wouldn't you feel a little bit frustrated by that as well? He says, no, I'd be glad he's back. We haven't even seen him yet. So I, can, I kind of feel, I feel for him and what it is that he's experiencing and we'll get back to this passage, but at least keep this picture in your mind. He's out in the field doing what he's supposed to be doing, doing what he's supposed to do. He didn't wander off. He didn't squander anything. He's doing everything that he's supposed to be doing. And then he finds out his, his brother who took off did all that stuff at his back, and there's this party. And yet he's been doing everything he's supposed to be doing without a party. No celebration, no recognition. He's just doing what he's supposed to He's doing his duty. So we pick up in Colossians chapter 2 from last week. We jump into verse 13. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, in other words, before Christ, God made alive together with him, with Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Guys, hold on to that. Follower of Christ, you are forgiven for everything of the past, everything now, and everything in the future, because it's not moment by moment forgiveness. You're in Christ. So when the Father looks upon you, it's like he's looking at the holiness of Jesus because you belong to Christ. So it's not, it's not appease him today. 
It's not, hopefully I'm doing enough good things so I'm loved by him. Oh my gosh, I screwed up. I better go to him out of fear. Because what, what if I sin and I don't ask for forgiveness? Then I'm gone. Guys, I'm convinced the Bible teaches that when you give your life to Christ, you surrender to him as Lord of your life. He gives himself fully to you and you cannot get yourself out. You say, well, what about those who just wander off? Well, one, either they're wandering because they're in that time and they'll come back. Or two, think about it. It's like, why is it, then, why is it dependent upon me, fallible little human, instead of upon the grace of God? When I look at the passage of Scripture that he began the good work and you will carry it to completion, he's going to finish the work. So a person that wanders off, I think they'll come back if they really knew Christ. If they wandered off, they never, they never come back. Was it really Christ that they surrendered to? Guys, we have the Holy Spirit in us to help us to walk forward, to move with Jesus. All your sins are forgiven. Verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The record of debt, it's our sin. Look, what I, look how I've missed the mark. I don't know about you, but my record of debt would be long. Would yours be long? It's like, nah, I got a couple things. Okay, lying might be one of those that you need to throw onto your list. <laughs> it's not like we're pretty good and we're not too bad. We're not as bad as they are. All of humanity, we're sinners before God. Outside of Christ, I've got nothing to offer him. That's why we have to fall flat on the grace of God. It's all about him. It has nothing to do with me. It's him. That's the beauty of the gospel. So that record is nailed to the cross, plus the legal demands of what? The legal demands of the law. The first five books of the Bible, that all these rules and regulations and all these sacrifices and offerings, all these things that are listed, that's nailed to the cross. Why? Because Jesus came and fulfilled it. He did it. He took care of it. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And then he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in, in him. That was last week. Now we move into verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of, and then he lists it, food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. I gotta be honest, I don't know that I've ever had anyone walk up to say, I'm gonna judge you because of your view on the new moon. Brian, what's your, what's your, what's your view on the new moon? I don't even know when it is. I, don't, I, don't, I honestly don't even know what it, what it is. I don't know which phase of the moon is which. I don't, I don't care so long as it's still there and working. I don't give a rip about the rest of it. It's like, that's your view. I judge you as this heathen pagan burning in hell. Guys, this is all connected to the Old Testament. Remember we talked about it last week that you'd have people coming in, they're taking a little bit of Jesus, they're taking a little bit of mysticism, they're taking a little bit of astrology, they're taking a little bit, little bit, little bit, then they make, then this Jewish uh, legalism, and they're bringing it all together, and they, it's, this, it's this secret knowledge that they found. And so when Paul's sitting there going, okay, the new moon and the Sabbaths and these festivals, he's like, all these things that you're used to hearing of in the past for the Jewish people, that's the connection to it. So let no one pass judgment on you on your questions of food or drink, what's clean or not. So in the, Jewish, in the Jewish law, there were certain animals that you could eat. So pigs were con considered unclean. You ever had a pulled pork sandwich? <laughs> and you just thanked the Lord right there and went, I'm so thankful that this is fine. I'm really thankful. Guys, what I eat and what I don't eat, it's, it doesn't make me right before God. In fact, Jesus talks about it. I think it's the book of Matthew. 
He's like, okay, what you eat? It's not about that. In fact, when you eat it, think about it. You only ever rent food. I mean, don't think about it too deeply, but that's really all that happens. Once you eat it, not too long later, it's going to leave. That's really all that's happening. And so I said, guys, don't be middle schoolers, but it's like, that's all that's happening. He's like, what this is, like what the eating part, that's not what makes you clean or unclean. It's the heart behind it. Like we're unclean, but those things don't make it unclean. Like eating. So he's like, don't let anyone pass judgment on you for this reason. In other words, what I'm saying is this first part of the Bible, are there things that we can learn from it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Am I called to live out everything that's in the first five books, the law of the Bible? No. Jesus took care of that. That's the old covenant. We're now in the new covenant. And I'm going to explain even more, and hopefully you'll see it. Now, I remember when we first started as Purpose Church Claremont six years ago, before we became Ignite City about it, back in January, there was this incredible woman, and she loved Jesus. And, so, and it was so cool to just talk to her. I mean, honestly, her quiet time started every day at 3 in the morning. 3 in the morning. I get up at 3 in the morning, but not to read the Bible. It's because my bladder is telling me to get up. And the older I get, I realize I'm getting up more often than I used to. She gets up at three, three to five. That was her time in the Word. And it wasn't out of this duty and I have to or else God doesn't like, but and all of a sudden she goes, Brian, I just think that we're missing something as a community. I said, well, what is it? She goes, what about the, what about the law? I think we're supposed to be doing these things. I said, well, explain it. And I said, which parts should we do? Should we do the parts like, what about the sacrifices? Well, no, Jesus came and took care of that. I said, what about, the, what about the, the punishments that come, that if I sin in this way, this is what's supposed to happen? I said, how do you pick and choose which ones? And it was honestly this great conversation. And I honestly thought I threw some, and I threw scripture, not through, I gave scripture. It's like we're having this fight. It wasn't a fight. It was one of the most amazing little conversations I got to have with her. And I brought scripture up, and, she asked, and I said, pray about it, and think through it, and at the end of it, she goes, I just think I need to find a place that really holds to doing this part as well. And so I just blasted her on social media. I'm just joking. I didn't do that. <laughs> and she didn't blast me on social media. Like, there was no conversation after that. It was like, go, okay, if that's what you feel like you need to do, I don't, I don't believe you're right. But I'm not going to slam you for it. And she didn't slam me for it. She didn't slam us for it. But guys, I'm going to tell you from here, and I think that I have authority in speaking this according to the Bible. Guys, we're not, we're, not, we're not bound by that which was old, which Jesus came to fulfill to bring that which is new. And yet I can still find principles in the Old Testament, of course. And the things that, the, that Jesus might repeat from the Old Testament into the new, like you sit there and go, oh, what about the Ten Commandments? Yeah, I really like them. And I want us all to apply them. Like I want you to apply, do not murder. Apply that one. But then Jesus comes, he, ups, he actually ups the ante, doesn't he? He's like, you've heard it said, don't murder, but I'm telling you, do not be angry with your brother or sister. He's like, oh, crud, you just got a little harder. He's like, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, don't even lust after a woman because you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. You notice what he's going, it's not just the actions, it's the heart behind the actions, So I think there's two things we need to remember about the purpose, or about the law. First, the purpose of the law is to show us that we're sinners. That's really it. Today, Romans chapter 3, verse 20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Why is that so important for us to know? 
Hey, you're a sinner. You're like, oh, I don't want to hear that. You're a sinner. You've screwed up. I'm a sinner. I'm rebellious against God. No, 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 no. Just encourage me. I am. I'm trying to encourage you. In your sin, God came for you. Why do we need to know that we're sinners so we go to the Savior? That we go to Jesus? That we receive his gift of salvation? We need to know we've screwed up. This is the problem. And God came for us. But if we don't ever hear that we're sinners, then why do you need a Savior? What do I need saving from? I seem to be saved from death. Jesus came to save us from death. I need to be saved from my sin. Jesus came and saved us from, us, from our sin. But do you also know what else he saved us from? Himself. That First Thessalonians tells us that he saves us or rescues from the coming wrath, the coming wrath of God because of the sin of the world. But Jesus came and took care of all that. But the law tells me, man, I've screwed up. I can't make it. And I can't ever do enough good things. And so praise God for God. So that's the purpose of the law. But the point of the law is to point us to Jesus. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 to 26. So then the law was our guardian, watch, until Christ came. Once Christ came, we don't need a guardian. We get Jesus. So the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be what? Justified by faith. To be made right before God only by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. We're no longer under the law. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So, so far I'm looking at this going, okay, so the purpose of the law was to point us to Jesus. I'm not bound by the first five books of the Bible, all the rules and regulations. And yet there's a moral law that I believe that we're still hold, that we start accountable to God for. But the civil law, that which was only for Israel as a nation, the ceremonial law of worshiping God through all these sacrifices, that's done away with. Because it, it fulfilled its purpose and Jesus continued in what it is he was supposed to do to bring us to himself. The law says you need a savior and Jesus is him. So we go back to Luke chapter 15. Remember the son, the older one, he comes back, he's ticked off, verse 28. He was angry, refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, I've brought this up before. Those have been around for a while. I bring this part up every time. Isn't it amazing that the brother was so frustrated with his younger brother, he couldn't say my brother. But he says, but when this son of yours, because he's not my brother, he's your son. But when this son of yours Man, that's just harsh. When the son of yours came, he has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, and here it is, son. Why do I think that's so important? Because followers of Jesus, it is so easy for us to jump into the duties of following Christ that we forget about our identity in Christ. He's like, I'm doing all these things. It's like I'm serving you constantly. I'm doing all the stuff I'm supposed to do. And I think maybe for some of you, God's going to slow you down and go, shh, son, daughter, remember who you are first. So who you are impacts what you do. Instead of what you do, thinking it impacts who you are. Do you see the difference? He says, son. And when I picture Jesus telling the story, I don't, I don't picture it just monotoned and boring. Why? Because people loved hearing Jesus preach. They loved hearing him speak. They loved hearing him tell stories. 
But can you imagine Jesus just getting into going, son, you're always with me. And shouldn't that be the thing that gets us? Son, daughter, you're always with him. You're always with him. And all that is mine is yours. Friends, we have a selfless God. He is so selfless. He's so giving and he's so generous. Think about how would your life be different if you actually believed that you were a son or daughter of the king? If you actually believed it, like today you lived walking out going, I'm one of his kids. Like I'm one of his kids. Gentlemen, we look and go, I'm, I'm one of this, I'm a son of God. And it sounds kind of weird to say it that way because you feel like you're calling yourself Jesus. But you're not, hopefully. And if you are, we got to talk. But God, to walk out, I'm one of his sons. And to think of how I feel about my kids, it's like God feels like that infinitely more. I'm his, he's mine. Nothing changes that. Guys, even the younger son, when he went off, he was still the son of the father. Ladies, if you could get it, that you're a daughter of God, you're his daughter. How would that change how you live today? Would it cause you to freak out? Maybe for some of you, relationship with dad's all jacked up. He's like, oh, that's how it is. I don't know how I'd approach God. And for others, you go, I have such a good relationship with my dad. So you tell me I can just ease in, I can just rest? Yeah. For those that don't have that, what can you do? Ease in and rest. You have nothing to prove in order to be loved by God. Just be loved by God. You're always with him, and he's always with you. And all that he has is ours. Does anybody wish their allowance was bigger? See, it's not by, it's not by man-made traditions. It's not by religious rituals. It's not what do, what do I hold to festivals and new moons and Sabbaths and food and drink. It's not all that. It's, I wrote this in my notes. Rather, it's about walking and living by faith in the life-giving sufficiency and supremacy of Jesus. Life-giving, friends. Our following Jesus is supposed to be life-giving. Does it mean that we're never going to have a hard day? Of course we're going to have hard days. But we should be impacted by this God who's in us. That we can still experience moments of depression. And, there can, and maybe for some it's like, I've had not just moments, it's seasons. of going through difficult times. You can still have that. And yet God can still give you joy. Well, I'm not laughing. Joy doesn't mean you're going to laugh all the time. It means you're going to have hope above the circumstances to take the next step forward. That God can give peace. God can increase patience. God, the whole fruit of the Spirit, God can well those things up, bring those things up in us to cause us to what? Experience the life he wants us to experience. And yet I've read, when I had it, I don't have it anymore, I've read social media posts of people saying, oh God, or people will tell you that knowing Christ will change you, but that's not my experience, so it's not true. Do you see the problem with that? The Bible says this is what happens, but my experience is not so, the Bible's not true. In other words, the experience that I experience is now the, that's the standard of truth. That's the problem. 
But if the scriptures remain the standard of truth and I trust God in his timing when it is that he wants me to experience whatever he wants me to experience in life, I trust him in all of it. I celebrate the times when it's time to be mountaintop experience. Here we go. Look, this is what it's like to follow Christ. This is amazing. And then those valleys that are part of the plan of God to understand or to know Christ in his sufferings, according to Paul in Philippians chapter three, that's part of the journey of walking with Jesus. I wanna know every aspect of knowing Jesus And yet during those times of suffering, have you not found some of the sweetest times that you've grown in your relationship with Jesus? So is it not true that in those moments of suffering, God is still showing himself gracious and loving and sovereign? That you might not ever want to do it again, but when you come out of it, you wouldn't trade it because you never knew that things with God could be like that. And so now we jump back into verse 17. We're talking about festivals and new moons and Sabbaths. He says, these are shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Like all these things in the law, that's just a shadow. In other words, the law is pointing us to Jesus. The prophets are pointing us to Jesus. So in Hebrews chapter 10, verse one to four, the writer of Hebrews says this, for since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, I can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. What's he talking about? Guys, you imagine every time that I sin, I gotta go before God, gotta go to to the temple, present my offering, which would be some kind of animal based upon my income level. Those who are rich, they could afford something more. Those who are poor, maybe a bird. And everything in between. And you present a sacrifice, but one day out of the year, the day of atonement, the high priest would present a sacrifice on behalf of the people of Israel. Every year, every single year. And it'd be this constant reminder, we're sinners and there has to be a sacrifice. We're sinners, there has to be a sacrifice. It wasn't like, hey, we're sinners, they did one sacrifice with one animal, that animal was perfect without blemish, and now we're done. Every year, it was this constant reminder, hey, we're sinners, and there has to be a sacrifice. We're sinners, and there has to be a sacrifice. Do you see, so far, as I'm talking, there's, we're sinners, there has to be a sacrifice, how those things pointed to Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, because we're sinners. Those things were but a shadow, verse two, other words, otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. Watch, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So why do it? Because all those things pointed to Jesus coming. It all points back to Jesus. It wasn't something that came, now we need to continue to apply it. Can you imagine if I go to Western and say, we really want to apply the sacrifices in the gym? We're gonna splood, we're gonna we're gonna shed some blood. Don't worry, we'll clean it up. Paul, good luck. We're gonna clean up the best that we can. You're okay with that blood all over the floor. Just think, think of all the teams that come in to play basketball against you. They're gonna be terrified. Why? Because there's blood all over the floor. <laughs> Guys, we don't have to do that because it was a shadow of the things, not the substance. The substance or the reality is Jesus. Is this track? Are you tracking so far? It's all coming back to Jesus. So because this is true, go to verse 18. Let no one disqualify you. The word disqualify means to decide as an umpire against someone else. So I set up the rules, I've set up the standards, and I get to decide whether or not you get to be part of it. Nope. He says, do not let anyone disqualify you 
insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. Again, what's the context of this? He's talking about people, false teachers who've walked in saying, I have the secret knowledge you don't. I have these experiences you haven't. You should have these experiences too so you can be as deep spiritually as I am. Do you see the problem here? Do you see how he's bringing this up? So you have all these things. Don't let, don't let people judge you because you're not having the exact same experience that they are. Or worshiping of angels. So here's the things that I think that he's talking about. Asceticism, what is that? It's another word for humility. And so I'd say some acts that we do with regards to humility when our worship before God. So what if it's fasting? I'm not gonna ask for you to raise your hand because we're not supposed to know when each other are fasting. There might be a time as, a, as, as, as the pastor, I might say, hey, for this next week, anyone who wants to fast, would you fast with me for this decision? Guys, I believe that's biblical. But if all of a sudden I go, guys, I fast every year for a week. You have to also, or else you don't get to know God. Do you see the difference? And that's what they're talking about. So when it comes to fasting, it's like, hey, when you fast, don't let anyone else know that you're fasting. That's Jesus talking. It's not like, I'm fasting. It's been since breakfast. And I'm just feeling, would you pray for me? I'm feeling, it's, it's like 11. He's like, when you fast, take a shower, make yourself look awesome. But don't tell anybody. Just fast, it's between you and God. And what you do in secret, the Father sees. When you give, here's Jesus going, this might be another ascetic, this is humility. When you give, don't go out there and make sure everyone knows what you gave and what you did. It's like, think about it. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Don't tell anybody what you did. So then all of a sudden we turn that into a rule. Oh wait, I just, I just gave, I can't tell Kelly. I was just generous today, God did this great thing, I wanna tell somebody, but I can't, because I can't let my right hand know what my left hand's doing. Kelly, you're in the dark. So we turn it into a rule rather than the joy that it's supposed to be. But what he's saying is don't give for fanfare. Don't give to post. Or to get the likes. And isn't that what it's become? Look what we did. Look what we accomplished. Look what I did. He's like, those of you who give in secret, your father who sees in secret, he will bless you. But those of you who do it for that reason, you've received your reward in full. In other words, you get the applause, the hand clap of people, but not the blessing from God. For those that pray, when it's time to pray, don't go out in the marketplace and stand up and just start praying so everyone gets to notice how eloquent you are when you pray. Guys, this is a struggle for me as a pastor because one, I don't think I'm all that eloquent when I talk. Like, I don't think my grammar is really set up well. But a lot of times, am I, am I, am I praying? Am I actually talking to God? Or is this sermonette number two? And I don't want it to be that. So it doesn't mean you can never pray in public. It's just, what's your heart behind it? And they would say, hey, these acts of humility, you have to do them this way to get the experience of God. I think he's also talking about mystical experiences and spiritual encounters. He talks about worship of angels and going on in detail about visions. Guys, I just don't understand it. Can you imagine angels in heaven going, why are they worshiping us? As they're looking at Jesus in all of his glory going, seriously? Us? You ever wonder if the angels in heaven just look down at us going, Seriously, they're worth it? Them? This is what you gave everything up for to have them back? 
I think, I think every angelic being just does not understand. That's why when you'll see in Scripture, a couple times in Scripture you see, like I think John, he goes down, he starts to worship the angel. He's like, no, no, get up. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a created being like you are. Don't worship me. But you'd have these people, you have to have this worship of angels or have these visions. Hey, I saw this vision. And because I saw this vision, everyone has to have that same vision or else you don't really know God. Guys, can I just read you something that Isaiah had to do that I'm gonna tell you? You, I promise you, you will be so thankful that I'm not applying this passage or this verse this morning. Can I just read it to you for just a second? Isaiah chapter 20, verse two. At that time, the Lord spoke to Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, go and loose the sackcloth from your waist and take off your sandals from your feet. And he did so walking naked and barefoot. For three years, three years, can you imagine? That's how I greeted you when you came in? Just stand there butt naked? Why? Well, Isaiah had to do it, so I think I have to do it. And I think at that moment you go, I don't believe that's true. And you, t- you turn around and how to hightail it back to your car and take off. Those of you online watching, I pray you shut it off. <laughs> and if you don't, there's an issue with you. There's no reason to want to, Brian, you should apply this. No one has ever said, Brian, Isaiah 20, verse 2, God gave that to me to give to you. <laughs> For three years, he walked around butt naked. as this picture of what God was saying. But to sit there and go, well, Isaiah had that. Can you imagine Isaiah going, unless you do this, you get no place with God. Everyone, take it off. I'm thankful for clothing. But guys, to imagine that this has to be for everyone because God put something on my heart. If he put it on my heart, then it should be on everyone's heart. And yet I'll look at things in the scriptures and it's placed on one person's heart and not another's. And guys, this is still applicable for today. I remember right when COVID happened. You remember that? Remember COVID? <clears throat> I don't know, about a month and a half, two months into it, I get a, a video sent to me by a family member, extended family member. And I, I think he might have forgot what I do for a living. And it's by a pastor. He's got a huge following. And, and he pretty much said something like this. Well, I, it was through fasting and prayer that God put on his heart that the churches could, should open, quote-unquote open, which I hate that phrase because that makes it sound like it's just the building and the church of God is always moving no matter what because it's the people. But two months in, we don't know what's going on, but God put on my heart, all churches in California need to open on day of Pentecost, May 31st, 2020. Guys, I had been praying. I've been, I was praying the same. I was praying to the same God. Never put on my heart. Day of Pentecost? Why, the day, why not the day before the day of Pentecost? Why does it have to be the day of Pentecost? So we didn't. Because I kept praying, God, what do you want? And I felt like he was saying to us, wait, just wait, wait. Because I think that God is doing a greater work in us as a church community than just to get back together and sing. And yet I believe in the necessity of the community. But God, what do you want us to do? There's so much more to this than just go. And then he said this. If your pastor won't do this, then I think that you should question whether he's really a pastor. This is in the video, and it was on YouTube. And then after that, he said, and if they don't open, you should leave your church, come, come to ours. I was like, why did my family member send this? Does he not remember who I am and what I do? And, and how arrogant for a person to actually say that, because what about that shepherd where his whole flock that God has entrusted to him are high risk. 
Is God just saying, do it anyway? Or does a loving shepherd go, not you? Could it be that God put on my heart not to and others too do it? Sure. But to throw that down with a purpose, and I, with the purpose of trying to divide flocks, it broke my heart. It broke me. And I'm not saying that God didn't tell him to do that. But God didn't tell me to do that. And he didn't tell us to do that. And maybe he said, I, was like, I want to. Okay. Can I just thank you for being awesome during the whole process? Even if you disagreed, thank you so much for the way that you handled yourself and conducted yourself. And I actually believe that we're a healthier church, a healthier church because we waited. Because there's something that happens when you wait on the Lord. And the next time if something else comes up and God says, go, let's do it, let's go for it. But let's make sure that it's him telling us. And then we trust him with telling everybody else what he wants them to do. We gotta be so careful with that. Do you see the problem when all of a sudden if I were to walk out and say, at no point have I ever said about this pastor, hey, because he said this, you should leave his church and come to ours. Never once. I'm not, about, I'm not about swapping sheep with other churches. I want us to be faithful in making disciples. And I want to see people come to know Jesus. And there's hundreds of thousands of people represented along the 210 freeway from Fontana to Duarte that don't have any affiliation with any religion at all. Friends, welcome to our mission field. And we will strive to be obedient to Jesus and all of it. This idea of puffed up without reason by sensuous mind, that's self-serving justification of living. It's like, I can live however I want. Like, I got Jesus, but you can sin however you want. No, no, because I want to live a life that's set apart for God. I don't want to do the things that he actually had to die for, that, he got, that Jesus had to experience the wrath of God for. I want my life to be this offering of praise and worship to him, to live lives that are set apart for him, which means that when the scripture says, don't do this, don't do it. When he says, do this, we do it. Instead of justifying in the name of quote-unquote love, name of tolerance, name of peace. Guys, we hold to truth and we show love in the midst of it and it's such a weird dance, it's uncomfortable. But it's so necessary for us to live there. So guys, it all comes back to this. It comes back to Jesus. Gary, I gotta tell you, we're gonna rush through the next couple. I always feel bad for Gary. He gets my notes and it's like this long list and I don't even know if I follow him all, but he just cranks along with me. Verse 18 again, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head. The head is Jesus from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Another, I'm just gonna summarize, guys, I do not want you to hold fast to me as your pastor. I don't want you to hold fast to me. I don't want you to hold fast to any other pastor that you like listening to, any other Christian leader. Guys, we have this celebrity culture of Christianity. In the States, we have our favorites, favorite authors, favorite speakers, favorite pastors, preachers. We got our favorites. We elevate them as if they're Jesus. And I'm telling you, any pastor or preacher that will not direct people back to hold fast to Jesus what you hear on a Sunday morning, whether it's me or James or Robert or whoever is filling this pulpit, it's supplemental to the growth that God is doing in you in your time with him, 
It is not supposed to be, Brian, go, go to the mountain called God, climb it, hear what God's saying so you could bring it back and tell me. No, no, no. He's growing you. You hold fast to Jesus, not to any other person, not to this church. Like, well, I only go to Ignite. This is mine. No matter what. Guys, you hold fast to Jesus before anything and above everything. It's all about him. You hold fast to Jesus and he will grow you. Guys, the celebrity culture was just as bad then. Paul's like, hey, some say I follow Apollos. Why? Because he was an incredible preacher back in the day. Some say I follow Paul. Well, who wouldn't want to? And Paul goes, what are we? We're servants of God. Like, we're just servants. Don't elevate any other person. There's Jesus and us. That's it. And we're all in this process of growing with Jesus. I plant, you water. You plant, I water. We're doing our servant role. I plant, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. God causes the growth, not me, not a person. God's doing this work. He gets all the credit, so it's not down to, wow, you have to have all these things on top of Jesus in order that you can experience this life. No, 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 no. God wants every follower of him to experience the same abundant life that he came to give us whether mountaintop experiences or valleys of suffering or everything in between, it's about him. No one gets to have the quote-unquote secret knowledge. He is revealing himself to all of us. Do you see why I constantly say, friends, we gotta get our faces back in the book. How else do you think God's gonna reveal more of who he is? Through an experience, which is what the Gnostics held to? Or I wanna spend time with you, God, I want to open up the pages, but I want you to speak to me. I want you to tell me what you think of me and what I should be thinking of myself and thinking of others and what you want me to do. And I want you to talk to me, God. Do you see the difference? Friends, do not settle for anything else but Jesus. Do not settle for anything else but Jesus. I will constantly, I promise you this, I will constantly point you back to him. Brian, what do you think I should do? I think you should pray. They should be in the word. But what do you think I should do? And we'll have those conversations when we've prayed and we've sought the word because I want to make sure we're holding fast to Jesus. Guys, anytime someone's wanted to have this, like a, like a pastoral counseling session or whatever we call it, I don't know what the official name is, but it's like I'm always going, God, is there a passage? Is there a verse? Like, I don't want to just be, well, this is what I think because I am wisdom. I'm not. I want to have it. But God, what do you say? What are you saying about this? Show me. Give me a word. Give me a vision. Not a vision. Give me a word. Give me a verse. Something. Because I want you to hold fast to Jesus. Only Jesus. As the worship team comes back up. This is a time where we as followers of Jesus remember his sacrifice. We take communion. If you didn't get a chance to grab the elements when you came in, it's, they're, they're back there. You can go grab some. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we just ask that you don't take communion at this time. And this isn't, a, this isn't a slam on you or a judgment. This is just a time for followers of Jesus, for us to remember Jesus' body broken for us, his blood shed for us. We take, out of gratefulness, we, we take out of gratefulness to him for what it is that he did for us. 
But before we do that, followers of Jesus, we're called by scripture to check our hearts. God, reveal to me anything in my life that's not pleasing to you. What is sin that I need to confess? What do I need to repent from? You need to ask that question before you take. And then when you're ready, and you've done all that before God, then you take the cracker, that, the bread, or the cracker, it's the representation of Christ's body that was broken for us. And then you take the juice, and you drink it as, you take it, it's this, it's this picture of Christ's blood that was shed for us. You take it with grateful hearts, no guilt. There's no guilt allowed here. Grateful. This was his pleasure to do for us that we could be made right with him. Does that make sense? Let me pray. We'll finish with this last song. You take communion when you're ready to do so. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would constantly remind us to not settle for anything less than Jesus. Help us to hold fast to you. And thank you, Jesus, that you are bringing us, your church, together, that you are causing us to be united. God, help us to only hold fast to Jesus so that your unifying work can continue. We thank you. It's not Jesus plus. It's not about another person. It's not about a bunch of rituals. And it's about Jesus. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you all more than you know.